Hi, my name's Lindsay and I'm a member here at Restored Church. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in. We believe that church is not an event, but a family you belong to. So we would love to offer the opportunity to connect with you. I'd love to be saying this in person, but circumstances have us doing otherwise. So if you'd like to learn more about our church or we can help you in any way, please visit our website, www.RestoredTemecula.Church. And then you can just click on contact there. We also have a mobile app with resources, including the Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app at Apple and Android app stores. With that said, thanks so much for tuning in and we hope you enjoy the message. If we haven't met yet, my name is Tom. I have the privilege of providing leadership to the church as a lead pastor on eldership. My wife, Ebony and I with the incomparable Eric and Heather Berga. See a couple new faces, would love to get to know you. Uh, yeah, if, if you don't yet have Sunday notes and you'd like Sunday notes, they're in the back. You can grab those quick. Highly encourage you parents and you youth to utilize those, um, especially on like the car ride home, can create some really, really helpful conversations around Jesus and his kingdom and what it's like and what that means for us. Um, okay, this morning, special morning, Andy Rogers is with us. Give him some love. Uh, Andy leads Restored Church Uptown in Uptown San Diego. Uh, it is a really, really special community. Uh, if you don't know this, we belong to a family of churches. That is, we are a collection of churches that are following Jesus together, that are partnering together. We share the same vision. We share the same mission. We share the same values. Um, unique expressions in our context, in our different cities, and our different places, but very highly related to each other, um, so not just spiritually, but for the sake of the mission of God moving forward. Uptown has played an instrumental part in the planting of this church and every other restored church. They have prayed, they have given money, they have given time, they have sacrificed quite a lot to see not only um, our church, but the rest of the family of churches get established, get strong, get healthy, um, and so people you don't even know love you, they pray for you, they open their wallets to make sure that our, our churches are healthy and strong and robust and continuing on. Like there's just so much goodness from God that I want you to understand. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because Andy's an instrumental part in this. Um, God's used him uniquely to help provide leadership and service and care. Um, he loves our church. Listen, guys. I think so oftentimes our busyness, it keeps us from really being able to taste and see the goodness of God. The ways that he blesses us, the ways that he like, he gives gifts to his people. Uh, let me read you something out of Ephesians chapter four. We read this often. Uh, it says this in verse 11, Paul's writing to the Ephesians church. He says, and he, the he there is Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? Equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Hear me. God gives gifts to his people. That's us. And man, so oftentimes the gifts that God give us, gives us come in the form of other people. It's not just like God increased the, the zeros in my bank account. 
God, give me this, give me that. Like, it's way less material, although it involves that. God provides for us. It's beautiful. But so oftentimes, the gifts that he gives us come in the form of people. And hear me. Like, for those of you guys that don't know Andy, or don't know him well, he's genuinely a gift to our church. And I believe he's a gift from the Lord. God's spirit in this man is strong. Um, he has a lot of integrity, a lot of care. And more than that, like his devotion to Jesus, his devotion to Jesus' bride, the church, that's us, and his devotion to God's kingdom, his rule, his reign, his way, is something that we admire, we love, we're grateful for. And so here's what I want to do. Um, because we are a people who outdo one another in showing honor, we want to build a culture of honor here, this might sound crazy, but I want you to make as much noise. I want you to rise to your feet and give him a standing ovation before he even says a word. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> he hates this. Andy Rogers, coming up. Give him some love. All right. Guys, you just keep it going. You guys can grab a seat. Uh, it is hard to live up to that, but um, I do really appreciate Tom. I appreciate this church. Um, yeah, love Herrick, Heather, uh, the team here. Uh, what I want to do is pray, and then we'll um, dive into our time of teaching. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for human relationships that at times can be really messy, and that, that's true in kind of our day-to-day -day life, in the spheres we occupy, kind of the family we live with each day, the office we go into, the kids we're parenting, the students at school, our coworkers, our family of origin. So we think through the holidays and Thanksgiving and Christmas and having to see certain people that are hard for us to be around, if we're honest. Um, thank you that, uh, and then on top of that, like. The church, you know, we've, we've got these different relationships. And so, Lord, the thing that's different about the church, um, when you compare it to any other set of human relationships, is it is a set of relationships that, in theory, should be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. That we have a way to treat each other that we've agreed to in advance. That we want to live out the one another's of the New Testament. That we want to love one another as you have loved us, Jesus. And as we love one another, the world may know who the Father is and the fact that he sent you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach all of us how to be a healthy family at a time when um, families are breaking down, churches are breaking down, nations are breaking down, communities are breaking down. There's so much division and conflict and anger and fear and confusion and lies might this be a bastion of grace and patience and kindness, consistency, love in the midst of disagreements, um, humility that goes, man, what could I be bringing to the table in a situation? Would this be that kind of community that imperfectly but faithfully learns to love each other? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I don't know about you, I tend to be a fairly forgetful cat. Uh, I tend to forget um, people, places, and things. Words, 
Uh, you name it, I've probably lost track of it. One time, uh, I was actually on a ministry trip with Tom and another one of our elders named Royce, and we were ministering in North Africa, in Tunisia. And uh, I don't know how Tom worked this out, but Tom went separate. From, me and Royce went via, we, we were going from Tunisia, Northern Africa, to Ireland to minister at a church, preach at a church, care for some leaders. And we were leaving our team in North Africa that you guys know. And Royce and I, one of the elders from uptown, we went via Paris to uh, Dublin, and then Tom went via London to Dublin. And, uh, and so we ended up, me and Royce, in Paris, and we had a moment where I freaked out because I looked at my boarding pass, and we were, our flight was taking off in five minutes, and we were not at our gate. And uh, so I start freaking out, and I, we, we were booking it, we're booking it, we're booking it, and we get there, and there's no one at the gate. And so I'm like, okay, there's be kind of misunderstanding. And so I, I go to another Air France desk and I say, hey, and I'm running around frantic. I'm like the mom in Home Alone, right? Just running around the Paris airport, just hitting desks. And then finally someone goes, oh man, that's your boarding time. If you go back, yeah, you're, you're really early. Great job, you know? And I'm like, cool, great. <laughs> Killing it today. And I get over to the gate and after that frantic, what's going on? Uh, I just realized um, in that frantic running around, my passport has gone missing. And now it's time to actually board the plane. And basically, as I was running around, kind of from desk to desk, home aloneing it, um, I left it somewhere. And so it's a long story, but I'm, I run around, I go desk to desk to desk, and I can't find it. And I'm just looking everywhere, star, but like anywhere I like step foot in. And then uh, Royce is one of the elders who's with me. He said, Andy, maybe if you calm down, you'll make better choices. <laughs> now, in the moment, it kind of stung, but I received it. Also, great advice for life, all right? I've got some youth here. Just take that. You don't make good decisions when you're wound up. Um, and I almost missed the flight at, at, out of just random. I mean, I, I'm pretty much given up. I told Royce, go without me. Uh, I've given up, and I'm thinking I'm going to have to go to the embassy and get like a temporary, whatever, just some random British cat across the, it just goes, are you American? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, are you looking for your passport? I was like, yes. He's like, gate A5 on the front. Uh, I was just, he was an angel. And I went and it was there and we, we got there and we got on the plane. The, the flight ended up being delayed all this great stuff. And so um, I've had some high stakes moments where I forgot some stuff. Um, have you ever forgot to do something you know you needed to do? Like you knew there was something that should be done that had not been done and you forgot. Um, yesterday, I went with my middle son, Calvin, to get breakfast burritos, something we do every Saturday morning. I take one of the kids and, and, and we go and um, there was a kind of a big line of Roberto's. I wanted some coffee, so I went over to get coffee there in our neighborhood. And uh, while we're in line at getting coffee, we drove by a Target and Calvin said, um, Dad, you owe us a Nintendo Switch SD card. Uh, it's basically like back in the day, you guys remember PlayStation? It was like memory cards. By the way, you guys remember Super Nintendo when the SD card was built into the game? <laughs> Such a scam. Like, it kills me. Um, but, but my kid, I, I promised my boys a couple weeks ago, I said, I'm going to get you guys that. It's, we have to keep deleting the game. and read. It's just like, video games are so complicated now. And he goes, hey, we're supposed to get that. I was like, okay, let's do that. Um, and so after coffee, we walked over to Target. We go in there. It took about 20 minutes to find this memory card thing. We finish up, um, and it's great, and, uh, and then we, we drive home, and we pull in the driveway. We've gone about 40 minutes. My wife's like, hey, um, did you get green hot sauce? I said, I didn't get burritos. <laughs> um, 
And I had this moment where um, the reason I left the house in the first place didn't happen and, and a task that I, I knew I needed to give attention to, I didn't. Now, I don't want to go meta here, but stories like these remind me of the human tendency to lose track of what is important and to drift to things we never intended to drift towards and not do that which we know we should have done. We see this uh, in the nation of Israel all throughout the Old Testament. We see this throughout church history. The church is in hard times right now. There's a lot of brokenness in the church, and it feels like every couple hundred years, God sifts the church, and there becomes a time of reformation and renewal and revival. But before that happens, there's a church that's lost its way, that forgot what it was about. And so people drifting away from God, but not just drifting away from God, drifting away from one another. I know I mentioned losing track of something earlier. Have you ever lost track of a relationship? A relationship that used to be close or warm or intimate that now seems distant, cold, and surface level, and you aren't even sure what happens. You guys know what I'm talking about? There isn't an obvious conflict you can point to. I've had times where a relationship just feels weird and I don't know why. And honestly, I wish I could point to something I did wrong so I could apologize for it to make repair to make it better. Because I want it to be different and I just don't understand what's happening. And so what do you do when you come to that realization that a relationship isn't what it should be? Um, what's your responsibility? What's their responsibility? That's some of what I want to talk about today is why do relationships, especially in the church, get pulled apart? And how can we move towards repairing those relationships? So I have three questions I want to answer today if you're taking notes. Uh, by the way, I did a really terrible job with the slides. I have like the three questions, and then I have like five some points under each question, which there is not a slide for. So note takers, get your pens ready, get your phones ready, put them in airplane mode, get notes app out, do what you need to do, all right? But three questions. Number one, what does Jesus desire his church to be? Number two, what keeps us from being right, kind of that kind of church, that kind of family? And then number three, what can we do to keep moving towards becoming that kind of family? Question three is key because I say keep moving towards. This isn't a static reality, relational health. It's not true in a marriage. It's not true in the church. Um, but before I talk about how relationships get pulled apart, I want to look at what Jesus longs for relationship and relationships in his church to look like. And to do that, I'm going to look at Colossians chapter 3, okay? And we're going to answer this first question, what does Jesus desire his church to be? Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. It says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved... When you read the New Testament, when you read letters in the New Testament, um, there's these two types of um, phrases or words, and they're called indicatives and imperatives. Indicatives are that which you are because God says that's what you are. It's what God has done for you in Jesus. If you're a Christian, here is what is true of you no matter what. Does that make sense? And so, like for me, um, my last name is Rogers, all right? And so that's, that's an indicative. That's true. I don't, have to, I don't have to go make myself a Rogers. Go Rogersify yourself today, right? That's who I am. And it's really helpful because oftentimes we can approach God with kind of a religious mentality where we go, I need to do stuff to become someone. And the New Testament says, because you're someone, 
Let's go do some stuff. Because you're, don't, don't do stuff to get to become a part of this family. No, no, no. You've already been adopted into this family. Now you can live like you're a part of the family because you are. You're growing into your um, familial nature. And, and that's what's really cool here is um, before you lift a finger to work on relational health in the church, when you're at your worst relationally, God said, Paul says, you're God's chosen one. Like the father wanted you. Some of you, your entire life, you just wanted a parent to say, I wanted you, or I'm proud of you, or I love you. And whether you got that or not, in an earthly father or mother, you have a heavenly father who says, yeah, I wanted you. There's unplanned parents. There are no unplanned children in the kingdom of God. Because I knew you. I formed you in your mother's womb. I wanted you. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Again, you are loved before you do any of the stuff Paul's about to say you should do. He's saying, because you're holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He doesn't assume you're wearing that already, even though you're holy and dearly loved, which is helpful for me because I don't run patient naturally, right? I, I, I went with my kids to Disneyland. I saw the line and I was, and I got to, my, my wife's brother works there. We got free Disneyland tickets and I still was complaining at the co- about the cost <laughs> and the lines, the line, like they're all right. And again, I know there's like an adult Disneyland movement that's been happening for about 10 years in America and you, you might be a part of that and that's okay. I'll pray for you. <laughs> but for me, man, I just see a lot of waiting. <laughs> it's like waiting land. Uh, gentleness. How many of you guys are naturally gentle? Yeah, like two people are like, I'm not sure. Um, you might be. All gentle means, it's not a person, it's not a uh, how loud you are, or quiet you are. It's are you, do you have to have your own way or not? So you can be a quiet tyrant. Where it's like, it's going to happen. I'm not going to yell, but I'm not gentle. I have to have my own way. Humility, right? Where you have an accurate view of yourself. Again, C.S. Lewis famously said, you know, know, humility is not thinking um, less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's just going, I'm not the most important person in the room, but I am an important person in the room. It's not saying, I don't have any gifts. I'm the worst. It's going, "Um, I'm not the worst, but there's some bad parts to me. Does that make sense? And, And there's some gifts to me, but it's having an accurate view, which means when you're in conflict, it means you could be missing something because you're incomplete apart from Jesus. Compassion, that's really, that's, that's a biblical word for empathy. It's this idea of, man, I'm considering what you're going through, which is super helpful in conflict. And Paul assumes we're not wearing it when we show up to our church, to our relational space. So he's going, you are this amazing person. And because the gospel is a restoration project, it takes us where we start and he slowly but surely loves us into someone beautiful. He goes, you have to learn how to like, you have to grow into your clothes. You've been adopted into the family. They preset your wardrobe for 10 years. God's got great style. It's not gonna, the stuff's gonna stay in in style. And uh, and he's like, man, I've got this compassion and kindness. Man, put this humility on, put this gentleness on, put this patience on because you're gonna need it for the activity we're gonna be doing. And the activity we're doing as a family is we're bearing with one another. 
and forgiving one another. And if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Forget the church. I want my kids to live this passage out. Bad. I didn't mean to look at the kids when I said that, you know. But, but, but right, like, like I, I, I want this for everyone I know. Like every relationship I know, in church or not, man, if people knew they were loved. I mean, I wish social media, I wish there was like an Instagram checkpoint. Like, you have your compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, verification codes. Now you're ready to post and talk to humans. And then verse 16, and, and be thankful. Oh, I love my kids. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Saying that the thankfulness is so intense for what Jesus did that it's overflowing in song and worship. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so in light of this passage, if I were to answer the question, what does Jesus desire his church to be? I, I would say this. It's a long definition. You can write it down. A gracious, imperfect, interdependent, not independent or codependent, interdependent family so I'll start again. A gracious, imperfect, interdependent family learning to love one another as they gather around their father in worship. A gracious, imperfect, interdependent family learning to love one another as they gather around their father in worship. Scott McKnight, a theologian and seminary professor, defines the church this way. A grace-based family of siblings much cleaner. A grace-based family of siblings. Now, that can sound really inspiring and warm and fuzzy. As a matter of fact, you might have joined Restored because you were like, I want to be a part of a church that's a family. It's, they have family and their values. It's not this huge mega thing. Like, they want to be in each other's lives. And there's something about the idea of family that's got a real Hallmark holiday feel to it. But how many of you guys know family's messier than Hallmark holiday movies? Take church out of it, right? How many of you guys, Thanksgiving's weird sometimes? Christmas is weird sometimes. Because families don't just take care of one another. They do that. And this community does that. They really do. But families don't just take care of one another. Families also have the capacity to do other things to one another. These are like the anti-one another's of the New Testament. Again, siblings, Right? It's grace my family is a family of grace-based siblings. None of these kids earned their way into our family. They won the lottery, got great parents, and, uh, and they're siblings, right? It's grace-based siblings. That's how they got in, and they're siblings. Um, they fight every day. And they're, man, we have a pretty healthy family. Like, we teach them conflict and empathy, and, uh, you know, we do validation, comfort, repair. Like, we're doing all that stuff with our kids. Teach them unqualified apologies. Make them, you know, work stuff out. Um, they still fight every day. Um, now, here's the, the beautiful thing about children is you feel all the same stuff they feel. They're just honest about it. They suck at hiding. When they don't get their way, they don't do like a weird passive-aggressive thing, leave early. They're like, they took the thing 
wanted. You know? I hate her. You're like, I don't think you hate her. But I think you're real mad. We should talk about it, right? You guys heard the stories like the church split over the cover, color of the carpet? You guys heard those? It's never happened ever once in church history. That's, that's a, a proxy war between two factions of people who have a bunch of drama and pain and hurt over years, and they found an issue to make their civil war. Yeah. You ever had that? Like, you see people, they're having an argument about, like, a, like, football teams. You're like, I don't think we're talking about football teams. We're talking about the best Italian place, whatever, in Temecula. You're like, I don't think we're talking about Italian food anymore. Um, and so families have the capacity to wound each other, to disappoint each other, to gossip about each other, to avoid each other, to attack each other, to withdraw from one another, to lose patience with one another, to become bitter towards one another, to misunderstand each other, and to assume the worst about one another. When we give ourselves over to that stuff, we are far from Jesus's vision for his church. So God longs for his church to be a gracious, imperfect, interdependent family, learning to love one another as they gather around their father in worship, which leads to my second question. What keeps us from being this kind of family? A lot, <laughs> a lot of things. We see, that in, in our, we see that in our Colossians 3 passage, by the way. Paul doesn't just paint a rosy picture of what church family can be. He assumes in advance there will be problems or these commands would not be in your New Testament. Think about that. He says to put on patience. Why? People, you're gonna get impatient. Either you are, they are. When do you need patience? Like relationally, when do you need patience? That's, he's assuming you're gonna need some. He says to bear with one another. Who do you need to bear with? People who get on your last nerve, who are Christians, <laughs> who you're supposed to love, <laughs> who you're going to be with forever in heaven. <laughs> he says, bear with one another. Here's the thing. In our pride and our sin and, and stuff and our selfishness, we're like, I got a lot of bears, you know? I got a lot of I got people I got to bear with around here. By the way, at the retreat, there was like bears walking around. That was insane. Just... Don't want to bear the lead of my sermon, though. Would you bring a wild animal out? Everyone's you lose focus. Right? You're like, there's all these bears in my life. People are like, oh, my. Did you, dude, you're someone's bear. Like, you're someone's bear. If they were really honest and talked out loud, you might be the cross they have to carry in their GC or whatever. Okay? Now, don't freak out because we're all that. We all rub people the wrong way, different people for different reasons, but none of us are always easy to be around. So Paul assumes in this passage on church life that the church will be far from perfect. He assumes people will wear you down, people will annoy you, and people will even sin against you. Paul assumes a level of church burn. He assumes that like any other family, we, we hurt each other. He, but, but he assumes something else, though, about the church that's different from maybe your family of origin. He assumes we are all mutually agreed upon. We're learning to love one another like Jesus. He assumes that we're in process. Do you have patience for your own process? A lot of us were perfectionists. We beat ourselves up. Sanctification, becoming like Jesus, it's on God's timetable, not yours. 
So you might be a type A, Enneagram one, whatever, ENTJ, whatever you are. Like you're like, I'm, gonna, I'm a leader. I'm going to take the world. I'm gonna, I love to set goals and crush them and crush me. I make lists after I do it just to cross the stuff off because I love accomplishing and doing and, and meeting my goals. And I have relational goals and financial goals and body goals and hair goals and fashion goals and intellectual goals, social media goals and, and, on, and faith goals and on and on and on. Um, and you love to do that and, in which you, and you go, oh, and I never feel like I'm far enough along. And what Paul would say is, you're right where you need to be. You just need to take the next step. Sanctification is slow, but it's certain. So, so two questions. One, real quick, do you have patience for your own process? Unless we think when we get to a certain point, God's really going to love us. He, you're beloved right now. You're chosen right now. You're slowly becoming you need to be. But the other question I have, and it pertains to our, today's sermon, do you have patience for the process of your brothers and sisters to still be in process too? Are you safe to not be complete around? Or do people have to get it right all the time perfectly to stay in your good graces? Again, the Greek word for disciple is methetes, which means learner or pupil. Paul assumes that we are not loving perfectly yet. Even good faith, like, like I mean like they're not fake like good faith, real disciples of Jesus are learning to love like him. And they have moments that don't look like love. So here's the thing about learning something. There will be moments, again, where it doesn't go well. Uh, my son Clive, he was learning to shoot a basketball, I don't know, three years ago. And um, it was the first day of practice. And he missed a lot. Now, I know you look at me, you're like, your dad's an athlete, Clive. <laughs> Why are you guys laughing? Um, and uh, like, you should have learned this already, right? And, and, and no, I'm not an athlete. I couldn't teach him much of anything. And he was just like, I, I think, dad, I think it's, basketball's not for me. I was like, um, your mom's got two first cousins, division one athletes. Her brother's starting running backs on CIF teams. Her dad split carries with Marcus Allen in high school, not the NFL, take it easy. I just think you should give it a little more time, you know, you know, like, um, but, uh, but I said, Hey, um, let's, let's just give it a try. And he ended up, he made the all-star team that year by the end of the year, but he assumes I can't shoot. It's over. It's over. Right now. Again, kids are great. Cause they're obvious. They just say the stuff out loud. A lot of us go, oh, I'm just never going to do conflict. Well, I'm never going to forgive. I'm never going to sh- not show up in a weird way that, that hurts people. Um, and, and again, um, we're all learning how to love perfectly in Jesus' school of love. But there are failures to love. And by the way, these failures to love, I'm going to go through a couple in a second, they're not all sin. I think sometimes we can, again, as, you know, in a gospel-centered church especially, you can go, man, okay, um, the, the creation, fall, redemption, restoration, you know, um, the world it was made perfect, and then because of the fall and sin, uh, it became, you know, awful in so many ways, and Jesus came to redeem it. Now, now, Jesus didn't just come to redeem us out of our sin, but the effects of our sin. So don't mishear me. Some of it is sin, but some of it is you learned how to relate a certain way in a fallen world. Some of it's the effects of sin. It's suffering. It's stuff that needs to be relearned and grieved and healed from, not just repented of. You do need both. There's a book by a guy named Michael Emlett. Uh, he's a counselor. Uh, you don't need to read the book. I'm going to give you the synopsis right now. If you want to read it, you can. But like the big idea, it's called Saint, Sinner, Sufferer. 
And what he says, the counselors, he says that every human you've ever met, is, if they're in Christ, if they're a Christian, they're simultaneously a sinner, a sufferer, and a saint. And he says, what we tend to do is we tend to have kind of a reductionism in the church where churches build their whole ministry around one of those. But the problem with that is people are more complex than that, right? So if you go, you're all saint, and it's kind of your identity in Christ. You're, it's just about your identity in Christ. That's all there is to you. Well, what about all the pain I feel? Yeah. No, man, you're justified. I'm justified and sad, <laughs> right? You're justified. Also, I sin a lot. If I'm sanctified, why am I still sinning? Because you're, it's past tense. You've been sanctified, and you're learning how to walk in that reality, but that's there, right? Um, and, he says, and then he says, there are other churches that are like hard on sin, you know? And usually, usually they're churches that are pretty into the Bible. There's a lot about sin in the Bible and, and, and stuff. And they want to repent of sin. And so every issue in your life is a sin you need to repent of, right? And yet even the gospel center church can become like, man, it's your heart idol. There's got to be a heart idol that's making your life hard right now. And idolatry always contributes to what makes your life hard. Idolatry's never made it better once. However, you can also miss, well, why do I turn to this idol? And there's like an interplay. Because oftentimes in our suffering, we learn to look to idols to give us what really Jesus can and should. Healing, security, freedom, joy, all that stuff. And so what I want to say is, is that um, there's going to be some overlap in some of these. It's not always going to be neat. These are more like practical skills I want to walk you guys through that, that help someone who is sinning and suffering. Because you're doing both. And you're in Christ the whole time. So there's freedom to work on this stuff because your identity is on your performance that you work on being a healthier person in the church. It's, it's established. Um, does that make sense? Okay. So, so again, what I want to say is, is why this is important real quick, this paradigm is um, we live in a culture right now that goes, if you have suffered and you've experienced trauma and pain, your behavior is legitimate all the time in response to that which doesn't make their life any better. Like, if you're, like, like with the person who's suffering or in pain. Now, um, trauma is real, pain is real. You may need to see a therapist. You may need to get care. If you've been through real trauma, like that's a, that, that's a thing to do. But it doesn't mean that the way that you treat people, does, does that make sense? So, so again, it's like, I had this hard thing with my mom. Now I'm mean to all women. It's like, look, what happened with your mom was not okay, but also you mistreating women is not gonna heal that thing. So I'm glad you know this about yourself work on healing, but now you also want to learn how to love people well. Does that make sense? So, so every person um, who suffers is still capable of sinning. And on the flip side, when you're in sin, or I'll give you a less uh, intense example. I mean, it's intense, but for a different reason. Um, like I've had multiple friends over the years who are in tough marriages and they felt for the first time a temptation to move towards adultery and talk about it. And none of them did. But with one of them, um, the guy just talked through, uh, man, there's social media stuff going on. There's DMing going on. And, uh, and he said, man, it just, it, it feels really good. And again, his wife was really mean to him a lot. And it needed, there was a lot of growth that needed to happen. And he started moving to a space of like, um, well, I kind of like deserve it. Like I've been, I've been through a lot. And again, I had to say, your pain is real, but sin is poison. Like sin's not going to heal you. It's bad medicine. Does that make sense? So everyone who suffers can still sin. Simultaneously, just because you sin doesn't mean your suffering doesn't deserve to be comforted. So when you're in sin, you need help. So again, I just want to say, um, some of the things we're going to look at, I don't think they're just sin issues. I think some of them are, um, we were sinned against by others, and we experienced different messages from the enemy, from culture, from our family of origin, and we learned to relate a certain way. 
And then our sin pops up too. So, so it can be a little messy, okay? So what keeps us from being a healthy, loving family? I'll go through a couple of these quickly. And, and as I go through these really quick, sorry, one last thing. I want you to not just hear these as like cool information or new information or boring information. What I want you to hear, what I want you to ask yourself is, do I have relationships that I've lost track of that need my attention? They need my humble kind, compassionate, gentle attention. They need me to bear with and talk to and forgive and apologize and extend forgiveness maybe. They may need a pastor or a therapist. They may need other people to come help us even, but they need attention. So a couple different things. Um, one, uh, this first one is, um, it's uh, the the. This first point, um, I've, I've pretty much gotten from the Emotional Healthy Relationships curriculum by Peter Scazzaro, so this, this specific point. So if you see it later, like, did he steal that? I did steal it, but I'm telling you, okay? <laughs> and so it's having invalid expectations. Having invalid expectations is, is what, it can be one thing that keeps us from being a healthy church. And so um, Peter Scazzaro and his wife talked, uh, they say an, an invalid expectation is this. An invalid expectation is four things. It's not conscious. So you don't even know you have it. Uh, It's not spoken. So you never tell the person, hey, I'm expecting this from you. And because you don't do that, the third thing, it's not agreed to. It's not agreed to. And number four, it's not realistic. So they say, you know you have an unrealistic, you have um, an invalid expectation if it's any of those four or a couple of those. If it's not conscious, it's definitely not spoken. If it's not spoken, it's definitely not agreed to. So for example, um, if you, um, you, might end up in, you might end up in a rhythm, uh, a friend of mine, he had another friend whose kids were going to the same school, and um, after drop-off, it was very natural for them. Um, we have a really good coffee shop, like half a block from where the kids go to elementary school, and it became very natural for, for these two dudes to get coffee pretty much every day. And, um, and they never talked about it. They never were like, you know what, man? Let's do mandates. Let's do coffee, me and you. Uh, and they never said, hey, will you be my friend and will you be my friend in this explicit, specific way? It just starts to develop. And, uh, and then eventually the guy got a different job and he had to leave right after drop-off. And it created a little friction in them. They ended up getting to the bottom of it, but, but that's something that pretty quickly the guy got really bummed out about. He's like, oh man, and we'll get into some of the other ways we can do this, but, but um, they, again, they overlap a little bit. But he was like, man, I guess this guy just doesn't care about our friendship. Isn't that weird? When you, when, you, when you break it down, not weird that he's weird, but like how, we do that, right? Like we just get used to, we're like, this is an expectation. It's happening. Um, and they, they, proof that they love me is them doing this thing they never agreed to do. And when they stop doing this thing they never agreed to do, I know they hate me. <laughs> and then it gets weird. And so they go, hey, so, so, so that'd be an example. Um, so again, having invalid expectations. Um, this can happen, um, gosh, if you're in a GC and you change GCs, and you don't have the same rhythms anymore. No one's done anything wrong. But if you don't grieve it or process it or like talk about how stuff's gonna change, it can catch up to you where you're like, man, I just, I feel pretty bummed by this person or, um, you know, or you don't get invited to stuff because you're not in their GC anymore and it, it's more of a GC thing, but you don't realize it, you don't clarify, and you just get hurt. Do you see what I'm saying? There's, it's not like the wildest sin, but it can, it can get, get sinful and get funky quick can get gossipy, it can get divisive, it can get, oh, that person doesn't care about me. Um, um, I experience this as a pastor all the time. 
um, where um, people will have experienced me a certain way, doing a certain thing for a while. And again, something I haven't like agreed to, something I've just done, you know? So um, there's times where I know people in our church are struggling, they're hurting. I'll shoot them a text, you know, maybe once a week. Hey, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? Is there anything you need? And a lot of times they don't know this. I'm texting them because part of it is I do know they're suffering. They're not like close friends or people that I'm pastoring and I care for. Um, but, but part of why I'm reaching out is I know they're going through a hard time. And when I know that hard time is turned around and they've gotten the help they need, um, I don't text as much. And they're like, hey, you, you stopped texting. I thought you cared. I do care. There's other, does that make sense? And it's reasonable they have that expectation. But, um, but yeah. Um, but yeah, it can lead to questions like, are we still friends anymore? So I put, um, these can be, it can be felt when something changes and an unspoken, unagreed upon rhythm changes, but no one wants to talk about it. It can also come up when you've been assuming something's going to happen down the line and then it doesn't happen. This is a trickier one because it builds over time. So you might have this idea, you know, I'm going to be the main worship leader at Restored Temecula. I feel like Tom likes my music. I feel like Mark, Mark likes it. I feel like the elders have affirmed it. People, you know, sing that, you know, by the way, this is a completely made up thing. I don't know who's leading worship besides Mark these days. I know. I, I just, okay, just, sheesh, I should have cleared these. I don't know. Just, it's totally made up. Um, let's make up a different thing. Okay. Yeah, uh, you guys are going to start a pet adoption clinic for Jesus. <laughs> and you pitch the idea to the elders, and they're like, yeah, interesting, you know. And interesting sometimes can be code for, I don't really know, but we love you. And <laughs> if you have more details, maybe we can talk about it, but I'm not sure. And, uh, and every time they said interesting, you're like, this is happening, right? And then the pet clinic shows. You're like, okay, I've got all the paperwork. I've, I've applied for a permit. I've done the stuff with the city. Uh, I've got these t-shirts made. And um, and they're like, oh, dude, no, 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 we weren't, no, 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 we never agreed to that. We always said it was interesting or cool or let us know how it goes or whatever it is. So, so again, we can build these things up. Um, la- last one, I feel like these are too abstract. Uh, classic one, I used to be a college pastor. Guy and a girl start kicking it a lot, hanging out, friends, okay? True, true friends, no wild stuff, just friends, no physical stuff. Um, and, uh, spending a lot of time and I had a guy one time, she's getting really close to this guy. We used to call it freighting. It was like your friends, but you're dating, but you're not, you know, it was like this unique, uh, thing. And, and again, it's, it's more than a brother sister thing. It's like pretty, it's just the amount of time they're talking and the depth and what they're doing. And so example, they, they did this, they, she went with, uh, he went with her to meet her parents on a like winter break after spending pretty much every day together, about two hours on the phone every night. And then they're driving back from seeing her parents. And she's like, I just feel like so excited that like I have a boyfriend like you. And he was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> she's like, oh, I thought we were, da-. he's like, we're not dating. Are you kidding? Now again, I think there's some unhealthy stuff that got there. But again, that for her, because she didn't clarify, does that make sense? We get into whose fault that they probably both should have clarified because no one just said, hey, I'm liking this. My heart's moving in a direction. I think you're attractive. I'm hoping this would work because uh, that doesn't happen. You can see how it leads to a lot of carnage on the back end and pain and confusion. Um, right, so, so, so um, unrealistic expectations. Uh, the other one is assuming the worst about someone. Assuming the worst about someone. In psychology, there's this really um, sanitized phrase called a fundamental attribution error. You guys know what that is? Okay, okay. Um, 
I'll read a definition. Uh, uh, the Harvard Business Review defines it this way. The fundamental attribution error refers to an individual's tendency to attribute another's actions to their character or personality while attributing their behavior to external situational factors outside of their control. In other words, you tend to cut yourself a break. I love this sentence. In other words, you tend to cut yourself a break while holding others 100% accountable for their actions. Um, in, in a gospel center context, you could see it because um, someone would be like, you can see this in a gospel center context where someone might be like, um, it's their sin in their heart. It's their idolatry of their heart, you know? Uh, for me, it's just my circumstances. My circumstances are really intense right now. But that person, they're evil, right? Um, some examples of this, um, you make assumption about someone else's behavior uh, towards you. For example, when we are late, we're like, I have a demanding life. I have three children. Have you ever tried to get three children out of the house and it's how many matter? It's very hard. That's why we're late. When they're late, you're like, they're just disrespectful, <laughs> right? When you don't say hi to someone at gathering, it's because there's so much going on. There's a lot of stimuli, lots happening. Uh, when the pastor doesn't say hi, it's because he doesn't like you or care about people. <laughs> when you forget to return someone's phone call, it's because you have so much going on. When someone else forgets to return your call, it's because they're unloving. Some of the worst fights of my marriage have been when Jackie or I assume motives about the other based on their actions, which weren't even inherently sinful, like the thing that happened on the outside. We're like, I know why you did this thing. Guys, that's so dangerous. Um, you, you know, you're in a, you're like arguing over the definition of a word. You know, you've been married a while and you have a fight like that. Got the sources out and stuff. But you're like, you use, this is a different than this word, and you did this because you, you wanted to send a message. Like, I, I just was using that word. She might be saying that, I might be saying that. Um, or arguing over how high or low one of our tones of our voices are and what the story was behind it. It's like getting over a cold, you know, whatever. Uh, arguing over why we didn't communicate something that should have been communicated. Like, we both agreed this should have been communicated. Was it forgotten? Was it a lie? Was it not a lie, but, but you didn't bring it up because you didn't really want to hear my answer and you kind of wanted it to, you know, you, you kind of agreed to something on the schedule without fully getting, you know, approval. Uh, it's also um, what's wrong with social media. We assume we know truth about breaking news stories before we've gathered a shred of facts and we just take our side right away. Oh, that's how that, da 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 It's no different in the church. So many people experience church hurt when friends in their church, or even worse, church leaders approach them with an assumption about their motives tied to something they did without asking questions lovingly, and they go, this is what you're doing. Some dear friends, that you, you, I know deep in your heart, you're proud. I know in your heart, you're trying to show off. I know in your heart, you're trying to impress people. It's your approval idol. You don't trust leadership, whatever it is. One time I had, a, I had a time where I made assumptions about someone. I, I didn't tell them, I actually asked them questions. But there was a, a gal who came to my young adult ministry and she would leave 10 minutes early, like before the sermon ended, pretty much every week. She'd sit near the front, she'd, she'd get up. It was kind of a scene. She'd get up, go all the way. Uh, it was a wooden floor. She'd wear like boots. And it, you know, the, I mean, it was just very big. And I, used to, I was like, man, does have any respect for the preaching of the word, you know? Or in a more like immature level, she doesn't like my teaching. That's what's going on. About six months later, I ended up with her in a deliverance session where we're talking through the demonic. 
and how terrified she gets when we start talking about Jesus. So one was a scientist. She didn't have any, she wasn't like this, there's a demon behind every rock. It ended up being like a legit spiritual warfare situation. And again, how crazy is that, that I could judge her and not, you know, like, and again, I ended up moving towards her. I never said any of that, but we can be so off in our assumptions. I had another guy, he was walking out pretty early during sermons in a pretty, also like front row uh, kind of way. And I just remember being like, oh man, it's so weird. And, and I just remember he had some pretty strong opinions about some stuff and we didn't see eye to eye. And I was like, oh man. And again, internally, I never told anyone about it, but internally, and I ended up asking him, I was like, hey, are, are we okay? Like, you know, I feel like you leave, like if I'm preaching or he's like, oh no, I, I, I go to the bathroom twice. I have really small bladder, like genuinely. <laughs> it's like, I have to sit in aisles on airplanes, like, you know, da, 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 da. And uh, my point is, is we can be so off. And I was in both of those scenarios. Um, the third thing that can happen, so we can make assumptions, is we can bring narratives from our, our, we can bring narratives from the pain of our past into our present relationships. We can bring narratives from the pain of our past into our present relationships. Um, in his incredible book, Father God by uh, Dave Patty, writes about the other man, uh, he talks about this thing called distortion something he also refers to as the amplifier. And so he says, imagine you have a hurt or a wound from your past. It could be from your dad or your mom, your family of origin, a caregiver from early on in life. It could be from a coach or a, um, an abusive uh, boss or pastor. And you've got a genuine, legit wound and it's, it still needs healing. And then imagine, he says, imagine um, people don't know the wound's there, Okay. And you, you're rocking big shirts, right? So he says, his, his analogy was he actually got, he had like shoulder surgery and no one knew. And when people would give him a hug, he'd cringe back. And he said, it was confusing to people because I'm Dave, I love hugs. I'm a hug, he's like, I'm a, I'm a hug guy. I'm pretty warm, you know, extrovert, all that stuff. And all of a sudden I'm like wincing and people could assume, and he said, I had to tell people, oh, I had a surgery. I love your hug. I'm gonna really love it in the future, but I need to heal. It's not you, it's me, literally. But when people don't know that and create, you know, and, and so um, he uses the example of um, someone closes the door on you and you feel weirded out by it. Like, um, I remember early on in our marriage, um, uh, I'd wake up in the morning and uh, I'd lean over to my wife and because I just woke up, my hair looks amazing and my breath is tremendous. <laughs> and I lean in to give her a little smooch. She'd go, ugh. All right. Not, again, there's better ways to turn down kisses for the record, but, but you know, we're year one of marriage. This is a long time ago. Um, but I, based on my own junk, I hadn't dealt with it. It felt like rejection. Now, what's really silly is it's like, she's like, dude, I married you. Like, I'm into it. Okay? I'm down. I just need you to brush your teeth. That's all she's saying. But in that moment, I can make it way more than what it is because of my story. Okay? Now, here's what also happens. My wife grew up in a family with a mom who was very, she's never clinically diagnosed with anything, very hot and cold emotionally in a terrifying way. She'd have huge emotions out of nowhere, huge overreactions, and they would never talk about what happened. Um, but she learned early, if someone gets kind of emotional or offended, you shut down, okay? Now, me, mister, I feel rejected because I didn't brush my teeth. When she starts to shut down, I'm like, oh, you're really rejecting me, you know? And you can see this just becomes a real fun, fun ride. Real Disneyland kind of ride, um, right? It's, it, it, it gets weird quick because we're both, we're both bringing things to the table that aren't even on the table to the other person. And if we could slow down and humbly go, hey, am I you know, bringing this? I mean, that can happen. Um, 
There's another thing, it's, it's kind of a, a sub point of this. Uh, leadership coach of mine, he, he calls it same species, different animal. Same species, different animal. They're people who remind you of people. Uh, they're people who remind you of other people who have hurt you in the past, but they're not the same person, okay? So if you were cheated on by a significant other, you can be hypervigilant in a way that doesn't necessarily make sense with the person you're currently with, and it can impact your relationship in a negative way. If you were wounded by an authority figure, a father or, a, again, toxic pastor, mother, that'll impact your relationship with leaders in your life down the line. Um, um, yeah, I'm going to move to number three for time. Um, are, these making, are these making sense there? Are you trying to see like, how we can do some of this stuff? And by the way, with a Christian worldview, the enemy comes in and just goes, yeah. These are little fires that we kind of can carry around. He comes in with gas and is like, yeah, she was rejecting you. This guy's so selfish. He's got a, you know, and it just becomes this whole vibe. And when the whole church is doing it, it's a, it's, it's a wildfire. Like it's terrible. It's not contained. And so we have to pull back and go, hey, I need to put on gentleness and patience and kindness and compassion. I have to have the humility to go, I'm not perfect in my way I relate or my ability to see what's happening. I might have a blind spot here. I need to have compassion to go, I need to be curious about what they're going through in this situation and not just assume it's just about me. So number three, what can we do to keep moving towards becoming that kind of family? Um, many of us are familiar with the Matthew, eight, uh, Matthew 18. that talks about having, you know, if someone sins against you, you go to your brother or sister and, and, and you want to work it out in a healthy way. Um, have any of you heard of the Matthew 5 approach to relationships? All right, you're gonna hear about it right now. I just made it up for the record. I've never heard that phrase before. Matthew chapter five, verses 23 through 24. Jesus is teaching in a broader teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, which our church is going through right now, in a broader teaching on anger. He says this. So if you are offering your gift on the altar, like you're worshiping. So if you're at church, you're singing your song, you're giving your tithe, the kids are up here and all that's happening. And there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. It's not even that they sinned against you. It's that they have something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother and sister and then come and offer your gift. Now, um, commentators note that like Jesus, when he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount, like if they had actually gone to Jerusalem, which they would have done from time to time to make a sacrifice at the temple, They'd be 80 to 100 miles away from like where their village was, where likely you, you only have conflict with people you actually know, unless you got into a quick beef with the priest at the thing or whatever, but, but likely it's, it's back there. And so um, he goes, go make things right. That's a big deal. Jesus said, this is a big deal, right? This is uh, flying to South Africa and then realizing, dude, stuff is not cool, right? And I guess now we have Zoom. I guess you can, you know, there's, there's stuff you can do. But long story short, guys, it's a really important to make things right, as much as it's up to you. Jesus is teaching that the quality of our horizontal relationships impacts the experience of our vertical relationship. He's teaching that the quality of our horizontal relationships impacts the experience of our vertical relationships. We often wait way too long to make things right with people. Peter says, if you mistreat your wife, your prayers will be hindered. And I think the same principle is here. If you don't love your brothers and sisters, you don't love the church, the love of God is not in you. First John talks about. So how can we move towards being a healthy family? The first one is, you. this is pretty basic for the question, but you move towards each other. 
You move towards each other. He says, go, right? Um, the, the rest of these are going to kind of combat some of the ways that we, we, we contribute to, to these problems. Um, another one is clarify your expectations with people. This is really practical, but it's also really spiritual. Can we do a lot of healthy relationships? Think about, just think about this for a second with the, with the invalid expectations thing. Do you know how unloving it is and unjust it is to hold someone accountable to something they never agreed to? Just think about that for a second. This isn't like a weird MFT trick. Like this is like, think about it. Like think about loving, treating others as you want to be treated. Imagine you, you go to a new job and the boss is like, show up when you're supposed to show up. Do what you're supposed to do and we'll pay you what we think we should pay you. That's chaos, man. That's a weird job. No one wants that job, right? And imagine like you keep getting your pay docked for not doing stuff that was never asked of you. Not only did you not agree to it, you never even knew. Now, guys, we do this all the time in our relationships. Where We do it with our spouses, our kids, our parents, where we can be so intense, but we want to check out, or we want to clarify our expectations. So you want to go, hey, do I have any expectations? If you're struggling in a relationship with someone, a good place to start is to go, hey, are there any expectations that aren't being met? Take a second. Do I have any that I haven't really thought of yet? Ask the Spirit. Search me. Help me. Is there any expectations that I haven't spoken that haven't been agreed upon, that if I actually stop and think about how their life season has changed, aren't realistic anymore, even if they had agreed upon them. Does that make sense? Um, or ask, are there expectations I have agreed to that I'm not meeting and I need to apologize and let them know things have changed and it's not their fault? Does that make sense? Again, the expectations, they either clarify expectations you have or, um, or, or confirm expectations changing. Another one, um, check out your assumptions. Again, if we make assumptions about people and their motives, man, you know, how to, you know how to deal with that quickly? You know the best way to find out why someone did what they did? What do you guys think? You can ask them. It's crazy. You can say, when you said that, <laughs> can I ask what you meant? Um, again, we want to live out the golden rule here, treating others how we want to be treated. No one likes to be judged and have their motives assumed without being given a chance to speak for themselves. No one. So we can say, hey, can I ask what you meant when you said this? Um, I, uh, I had a time, there's a gal on our staff. Uh, she's amazing. Her name's Ashley. She's given, permission me to share, given me permission to share this story. And she oversees our pastoral care uh, and her family of churches. She does some like triage, help people get connected to either a therapist or a pastor or specialist or whatever. And, um, and she was on staff and, and uh, we were meeting and we were talking. She was a newer Christian. So this was probably five years ago. And she was newer to staff and we were talking and she said, so do you think I should work two days or three days? Like, I'd love your counsel, your input, like, you know, and I, and I just said, um, honestly, it's up to you. And, and I use this phrase, which seemed fine to me at the time. I said, you just have to decide what kind of mom you want to be. Now, I know I heard the gasps. <laughs> now, hear me out. When I said that, what I meant was, is girl, you got freedom. This is Jesus feminist. I'd value family and work and whatever you feel called to do in the specific way you feel called to do it. In this season, the world is yours. What do you, what kind of mom slash work? What kind of, I mean, I'm saying, what kind of work-life balance do you want to have? That's what I'm saying. Does that make sense? I didn't even think anything of it. And that was it. We moved on. The next week, she sits me down. She says, before we start, any, I just want to ask for clarification. She's a mature person. She said, hey, Seriously. And she teared up a little bit. She said, hey, 
when you said this, like it made me feel, you know, or when you said this, what did you mean? And I said, oh, just like you can pick, like if you want to do two or three days, we can figure out funding one way or another. Like we want to, we'd love to see you in this role. And elders are excited about it. And I think we can try to make something work. And she's like, oh, okay. She's like, well, for me, it felt like you were like moralizing the decision and there was a right or a wrong. And especially with like hardcore Christian gender role stuff, like I really wasn't sure. And I respect you as a spiritual leader. And so I was just really confused. And so you were trying to free me up to make a decision. And I said, yeah, she said, okay, that's so helpful to know. Thanks for letting me know. I just wanted you to know. She didn't villainize me. She didn't blast me. She didn't go, you insensitive. This is another thing we do. Like we assume they know that they're insensitive or whatever. I think I was insensitive. I just missed it. Does that make sense? But she had the maturity to say, hey, is that what it was? And I said, no, 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 no. Um, I had another time where I was in a, um, I don't have time for that, but, but <laughs> my point is we can go to some pretty intense places where we make assumptions and just be so far from right. You can just ask, hey, when you didn't come to my event, can I ask if that was, if that was intentional, there was a problem, or was that, you know, and again, um, if we get good at doing this, we can resolve stuff quickly. It doesn't have to be a weird thing where you go, hey, can I, you need to start using language like, can I check out an assumption I have? And I'm humble enough to go, if you tell me I'm wrong, I'll, I'll live with that unless you give me a reason not to believe that. Does that make sense? But you can go, hey, when you didn't come to that thing, this is kind of silly. Um, but my, and it's actually not, by the way. But, but my feelings were a little hurt. My, I went to a spot where I was kind of judging you. Is it because you're upset with me or just because you're busy? Oh, man, I'm just busy. I love you, you know? Or you know what? That activity just doesn't work for me, but I love you. If you want to do something different, let me know. I just, for, for me, my, you know, whatever it is. Um, d- does that make sense? And you can move on so quickly, instead of letting these things build, because you let them build over time. Again, the wildfire analogy, you let it build over time and it can catch at any point. Um, so when in, uh, uh, another one, um, ask yourself what narrative you might be believing. What narrative you might be, this is tied to like past pain. Ask them what narrative you might be believing. You know, so, so again, when in doubt, ask. Um, and so this can be really helpful to ask yourself, what tendencies, when do I tend to feel angry at someone, or if I think back through kind of over the last few years, are there, thing, are there topics that kind of make me upset? Even if the person, you know, are there people, you know, are there, again, kind of paying attention to that. Um, but you can ask again, you know, I have this tendency to assume I'm being rejected when something, like, so, so this kind, not that you have, I just want to ask, hey, when you said this, did you mean X? It's similar to checking out assumptions, but it starts with a little bit more work internally, you know, what, what narratives am I prone to believe? Does that make sense? Um, and then the last two, these are pretty simple. Um, they're, they're simple conceptually. Um, they could be really hard to work out. Um, the first one is just give unqualified apologies. If you blow it, go to them if you can. And unqualified apologies is no ifs, ands, or buts. Okay? If you, you did something wrong, um, it's not a time to justify yourself. It's time to say, hey, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done this. A lot of us grew up in homes where our parents never told us sorry in an unqualified way. Guys, when you get it, it builds trust and health. That's true with parents and kids. It's true with spouses. It's true. Nothing's worse than an apology with a defense, you know, memo from the lawyer at the back end of it. It's like celebrity apologies. I'm sorry if I happen to offend anyone. Also, you can't sue me. You know, you're like, what? What is this? You know, um, it's very like, hey, I, I, I did this because I wanted whatever it was, or, or I, I showed up this way and it wasn't cool. Um, so no, no, if it, not, not, if you hadn't done this, I wouldn't have done this. Just um, when this happened, I felt this way, so I. 
will you please forgive me? Um, and if there's anything you want me to do to make the, this thing right, let me know. And the last but not least, um, get help if you need it. Get help if you need it. Um, I know in Matthew 18, it says, if you have problems with someone, go directly to them. Um, and that is true. Um, but I would say that there is a reality that there are times when we don't know how to approach the person. There's a difference between um, creating a team to go to war with someone you're upset with and asking one or two wise people to help you figure something out if you feel stuck. Like every, does that make, and Jesus even assumes you might, you might go there with the second one. But, but if it's not a sin issue, especially, like it just feels funky and you're not sure what to do, it, it's okay to, um, to chat to like a pastor or an elder or um, your GC leader, okay? Um, and again, not, and again, as much as you can go, hey, something's going on, I love, for, I love help with it, not I'm just gonna fill you in all this bad stuff with them. Just, it feels off and I, I feel stuck and I'd love help moving towards them. Um, again, if you wanna to chat to a pastor. And then also within the get help if you need it, um, some of you guys have experienced deep suffering, deep trauma. Um, you guys do need to see like a professional and there's no shame in that. Again, part of the gospel is experiencing freedom from the effects of the sin and, and fall entering the world, not just uh, sin itself. And so um, if you need help with that, again, please let us know. We have a pastoral care um, referral process, uh, I think on, it's on our family church website for sure. If you want help, let us know. Um, if you have a great therapist already that you feel good about, then that's awesome. Um, chat to a pastor. Um, but I just want to say, um, there's no shame in getting help. And one of the things that, and honestly, really good therapists, mostly what they do, good counselors, is just help you unpack what you're believing and why. They help you figure out the assumptions you've been making the ways you've been showing up in, in a not cool way. So does that make sense? So um, with that being said, um, I wanted to pray but before I, I pray, I just want to ask you to think as I pray, is there anyone in my life that like, I just need to move towards? I need to have a clarifying conversation with. I need to ask some questions too in a loving way. I need to apologize. Like, does that, does that make sense? Because I do believe we can be a church that reflects that Colossians 3 reality. But everything in our society is, is calling people to be pulled apart from one another. And what if we move towards each other in love? Um, Father, thank you for not just saving us as individuals, but redeeming us and adopting us into a family. And I know for some of us, that can feel like really good news, depending on where we've come from. For some of us, that can feel like really bad news. But God, I pray that it would increasingly feel like good news, where healing is needed. I pray that you'd bring it that you, you, would, you would give the men and women in this room the wisdom they need to get the help they need. Lord, where repentance is needed, um, I pray, Lord, that you um, would help us repent or, or, give us, or bring people into our lives to, to help us repent, to lovingly confront us, to speak the truth and love to us. Um, for, for those of us who aren't sure if we need to repent, relationships get weird. Do I need to repent? Do I need to heal? Do I need to do both? Lord, would you give us the wisdom we need and wise counselors, we need to, to take that apart a little bit to figure out the best way forward so that we might be a beautiful, beautiful bride that reflects who our bridegroom is to the world. Someone who loves his enemies, someone who bears with us when we don't want to bear with ourselves, someone who's patient with us when we don't want to be patient with ourselves. that we'd become people who bear with, are patient with, and forgive each other early and often into a healthy community. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you guys honor him, please?
Uh, will you stand if you're able? Stretch out. Breathe. Love you guys. Um, a couple things I want to just walk us through. We're going we're gonna to go into a time of response. The band's going to lead us. I want to press into Jesus. Um, so much wisdom there, bro. Thank you so much. Like, um, guys, I think so oftentimes we can maybe live up in the clouds of like just like theory. Um, but when it gets practical, when we actually, when we can, when we make and make, take, make and take steps of wisdom, we can actually see God breaking through into our lives and bringing more of his kingdom. If you've been um, journeying with us, we are in this series going through Matthew um, where we're exploring what God's kingdom looks like. And so here's a couple of things that really have stuck out to me. Will you guys just play over us? I feel like there's stuff in the room that God wants to do. Um, the first thing that I feel like really stuck, stuck out to me was how imperative, imperative it is that we pay attention. Like actually pay attention, not just to our relationships with others, but like what's going on inside of ourselves. Why am I feeling the anxieties that I'm feeling with, around people or with other relationships? Why am I, why am I feeling insecure? Or maybe, maybe you just like, I'm uneasy and I don't even know why. Maybe there's insecurities going on. Maybe there's fears going on. Maybe there's things going on inside of you that, that um, sometimes it can feel like, oh, the enemy's coming at me. Sometimes we mistake God for the enemy. That, that God, the spirit of God might be drawing your attention to things inside of you that are causing you to experience a lack of his kingdom, a lack of his ways. And what if we became people who are like, not just in isolation by ourselves, but in community going, here's what's going on in me. Dorian, here's what's going on in me, bro. Like, help me understand this. Jonathan, here's what's going on in me, bro. Like, I'm feeling this. Help me discern what's happening. Because so, much, so many of us, we get spun by our circumstances. Rightfully so. We live in a broken, jacked up, fallen world. But I think we need to pay attention. Or maybe pay better attention. And the second thing is that um, it's clear. Will you guys put that Colossians passage that, that Andy was um, in and out of all morning? I think it's Colossians 3. I, listen, God desires unity for us. That's his desire. In his kingdom, there's unity. There's diversity and then there's unity. But hear me, there is an enemy who opposes God in his ways. And do you know what he desires? He desires division, friends. He desires that your households would be, that you'd tolerate each other, that there wouldn't be deep unity. And if he can, if he can have his way, he actually would divide you. Your kids, your spouse, those of you guys in gospel community. You know what he desires for your gospel community? Fractions. Division insecurity that leads you to back up and pull away. And that's why I think Andy's message was so profoundly, uh, practically helpful because it's tools, biblical tools that we can have, we have access to in Christ to oppose Satan's agenda for your life, to divide your deepest relationships, the relationships that God's placed in your life for you to grow and develop and thrive and to become the man or the woman that God's created you to be. And so there's, there's, there's two things that I feel like God's highlighting, and Andy hit one of them already, like the who. Who is God, like, bringing to your mind that you need to have, like, you need to move towards? Massive. I think that's, that's, that's part A, okay? And there's a second part here that I want for us. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on. 
that's your responsibility. So there's this element of who God is and what he's done. He's chosen you. He's adopted you. He's lived the perfect life in your place. He's died the death you deserve in your place to rescue you from living um, in ways that would oppose his kingdom and cause destruction in your life. No, he wants you to thrive. That's why he redeems with his blood, to wash you clean, to forgive you, purify you, new creation. That's what God's done. And he goes, okay, in light of what I've done, here's some stuff for you to do. You want to live in my kingdom, you need to follow my kingdom rules. And not to try to control you, not to lord it over you as to, to like abuse authority for, for his, like for a lack of your well-being, but because he loves you and he wants you to thrive. So what God's done, choosing you, redeeming you, making you holy in his perfection, not your own. You're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus if you trust in him. And then here's what I want you to do, my boy. Here's what I want you to do, my girl. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Forgiving, bearing. So there's two things. The who and the what God is calling you to put on in this season of your life. And it's probably going to resemble different things for different relationships. But here's the overarching thing that I feel so stirred up in my, with my soul. Yes, hear me. Satan is at work to try to divide our community. He's trying to divide your household. He's trying to divide your gospel community. He's trying to divide our church. But do you know what the spirit of God's up to? Ooh. He's at work, man. He's moving. He's leading. He's guiding. He's making a way. And he's inviting us to put some things on. He's inviting us to live life his way, which will result in thriving. And if we do that, oh, man, we're, we're kind of untouchable. What I mean by kind of is like, yeah, there's suffering and there's pain and there's still death, but ultimately, all that's going to be done away with when we're in perfect union with God and each other forever. So the band's going to lead us in a time of like of, of, of praying through music, of praising God through music. If you're on the prayer team, would you make your way to the side? Some of you need to receive prayer this morning because your heart's heavy because some of the things Andy's, Andy was saying is like, oh, yeah, there's relationships in my life and there's uneasiness and maybe you got butterflies in your stomach and you're like, oh, yeah, I probably do need to talk to somebody. All that stuff... That's the spirit of God not condemning you. That's the spirit of God drawing you close to him, saying, hey, come follow me. Come enjoy the party. Come inside my house. Like, come enjoy the kingdom and all of its fruits and all of its goodness. And so who and what is God calling you to put on? Let him speak to you. Thank him for the opportunity of his, his patience, his love, his forgiveness for you that always empowers you to take another step. I love how Andy said the sanctification process. One step at a time. There's patience for you. All right? Will you minister to us, guys? Thank you. Uh, if you need prayer, trust the men and women off to the side, and then we'll close here in about uh, 10 minutes. Love you guys. Jesus, I pray, uh, I pray that the truth of your gospel and your grace and your mercy and your unending love would defeat the fear that's inside of us. The fear that keeps us from relating to people the way that you created us to relate to people. The fear inside of us that keeps us from relating to you the way that we were created to, to relate to you. And I pray that through it all, your grace and your love and your mercy would be something that we taste and we see, we come to grips with every single day of our lives. So that the, 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 the outpouring of our life would be one where of just like so much gratitude 
and so much inspiration to move towards people the way that you move towards us. Yeah, I ask that your Holy Spirit would do a a mighty work in each one of us. I pray for parents in the room. I pray that you would give us wisdom to see the way, see how we're modeling Christianity for our kids. I pray for opportunities for repentance for all of us, opportunities to take responsibility, opportunities to seek forgiveness, opportunities to demonstrate your worth because we're always doing that at all times. We're showing the world what you're worth to us by how we live. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would inspire us in light of who you are, in light of what you've done, the lengths that you have gone to, the ways that you have moved towards us. Christmas is coming. Emmanuel, God with us. Jules referenced it earlier. We sing about these radical things, these incredible realities would they not just be these concepts that we talk about sometimes, but would they be real, tangible reality that we feel and experience you moving towards us? God putting on flesh to reconcile man to himself and man to each other and man to creation. Wake us up. That's my prayer. Would you wake us up? Really quick, quickly, I um, just want to share one more thing. As, as Andy was talking, as I'm processing all this stuff, I'm, I realized something I just want to quickly share that I think could be helpful, just a little handle to take with you into the week. I love handles, something I can quickly refer back to, and it's this. In the context of what Andy was talking about in Colossians, Paul talks about putting aside anger and wrath and malice and all of these things. So there's a sense of like staying free of the things that Jesus has freed us from. And as, as I was chewing on this message, what we talked about, one thing came to mind. My desire to stay free has to exceed my desire to save face. I'll say it again. My desire to stay free has to exceed my desire to save face. If it doesn't, I'll never do any of what Andy talked about. So I'm just going to quickly pray, and then we're going to release, release you that our desire to stay free would grow and that our desire to save face would diminish. Father, thank you that Jesus has set us free. And I think every single person in this room who's a disciple longs for greater freedom. Would you this week, when we come up against, even in small things, tension, um, when we feel our heart puffing up with pride, Would our desire to stay free exceed our desire to save face? And would that lead us into a life of unqualified apologies, of asking for clarification, of giving others the benefit of the doubt, of having what might feel at first like really uncomfortable conversations that we just grow and get used to over time for the sake of love? Would you help us to stay free? And would you help us to release that desire to save face? We love you, Father, and we thank you. In your name, amen. Love you, church. If you've got kids in kids' ministry, I'm going to ask that you please go and grab them as quickly as you can to relieve our kids' volume.